Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, May 2nd, 2014. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we brainstorm the underlying principles of designing in the browser in hopes of spawning a thousand baby pattern labs. They're so cute. Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Good morning. Hello. Ah, it's, it's like delightfully quiet in both of our backgrounds. <laughs> it's been raining super hard here. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's been like that here too. Yeah. Well, judging from the weather we're getting, you have at least another day of it heading your way. Exactly. Yep. It's usually the case. You guys always get snow the day before us. Yeah. So cool. Uh, I think it's so quiet upstairs at my house because uh, when I went up to get coffeeed up for the podcast, mm-hmm. Erica and Cooper sucked me into uh, a walkthrough of the new house they just built in Minecraft on the side of a mountain. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. It's pretty impressive, actually. Glass enclosed stairs down the side of the mountain, schoolroom inside, Ooh. roof deck, nice view. Nice. <laughs> it's always sunny in Minecraft. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's well, not true. Sometimes. Yeah, not in creative mode. No, not in creative mode. So, yeah, I was surprised when we saw that rain that one time. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So, um, what do we have going on this week? Is there any uh, housekeeping left over from? I don't, um, I don't think I have anything. We had so much we, housekeeping last week. There was one thing, week. but I don't remember what it was. So. Yeah, we had a ton last week, so probably got everything cleared out um geez well we have a kind of an interesting show this week maybe we should just plow ahead sure um we have both kelly and i have both worked on um projects that used uh brad frost and dave olson's pattern lab atomic design responsive web design tool for kind of uh Mm -hmm. You know, in the in the workflow, let's just say. Yes. And it's funny because I used an early version, and then I used a more mature version, and then we both used an even more mature version, which is radically right. upgraded. And there, we have also we we were both sort of talking about it and had all kinds of um, opinions about which ones of those worked best, and you know, like what what the differences between the ones were, and the different strengths and weaknesses. And things things we'd like to see that aren't there and things, things that, that we like. Yeah, yeah, things that are there that we wish weren't. Stuff like that. <laughs> and you know, and also trying to separate the 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 team's code organization from any inherent mm-hmm. problems with the tool. So we were talking about that and thinking like, oh, what would it be like if we made a, a simple one or a one in Ruby or, you know, all these different things and, and got to thinking about what are the underlying uh, patterns that you'd want to have exist in a tool that allowed you to, to fill this gap in the workflow where you're trying to, you're working with a client and you're trying to get sign off on something that's in progress. So, so the opposite of waterfall design. Yeah. And it really kind of made us step back and take a whole uh, a look at that whole pro- process and not, not just what would we like to see in a, in a tool, but you know, what are, what are we, what are we doing here and, and why are we doing it? What, what do we need for the, for the process? Yeah, exactly. What are the, and what are the, where does this, where does this gap start and where does it end? What should this tool do and, 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 and what shouldn't it do? So we came up with this sort of notion of browser design patterns, which are, you know, things that, things that a, um, sort of like recurring well what's the little what's the little blurb i typed i I was inspired and typed up a um a formalized set of best practices web developers can use when building responsive side there's more to it but i stopped reading it a formalized set of best practices yeah (laughs) so it was a little wordy i guess but so it's it's like what are the common problems that everybody has when designing in the browser it's like what are the patterns and and how do you right address them 
right? And the idea is more to sort of sort of establish the notion of of what those problems are and some methods for addressing them, and and then we can you know you can throw together a tool in, in whatever you like. Right. So if if you either for yourself or for the community or whatever, as long as you know, because I think there are some differences depending on the size of the project, yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. And right now, Pattern Lab is is one tool, but there are others. There are other commercial tools available. Um, uh, but this this is I, this feels more like this is just more underlying principles than rather than a specific tool. Right. So let's back up a little bit and kind of set the context for why designing in the browser has become necessary of late. Um, yes. In case it's not obvious uh, to dear listener, um, designing, you know, the way that we all did web design um, back in the day. So I, I would say this happened like this shift continues, but I think right around 2008 was when, 2009 was when the light bulb started going off in people's heads that doing a static comp in Photoshop as a client sign off or as a deliverable for a client to sign off on and then you to go sit down in front of your gigantic cinema display and <laughs> you know yeah yeah about about the time you know start smartphone started started to, to actually get out there and the iPhone had been released and was 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 selling and yeah it became clear that you know <laughs> yeah we need a fl- we the, need the like way, yeah right the way we work was not going to not going to work and and um like you said people have started started the shift um i think most people are probably doing it this way today but actually uh, i see i still see a lot of you know, i've still i've still worked on projects fairly recently where i was handed a bunch of photoshop comps and i was like okay here's the mobile here's the desktop figure out the rest mm. <laughs> yeah figure <laughs> make out it, the make it all look the same and, and they're, they're, they're radically different to the point that they could be two different websites right so uh, there are a bunch of there are a bunch of stages to this process and we've we've worked on the two of us have worked on three really large content projects that are related to this uh entertainment weekly TechCrunch, and then another one that's not launched yet and but you know some actually bigger a bigger one so you know in those cases you've got a lot of stakeholders Uh, it's like a typical agency project where at least in my experience where you've got Mm -hmm. you know somebody closes a deal with a big client Uh, you start to have conversations about what the new site's going to look like Um, but you know what the new site's going to do and you know maybe you get examples of other sites that they like that you know whatever you just try and pick their brain to get get what they're thinking out into some kind of understanding between everyone yeah uh, and then um, at least i think i think the the way that it works 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 best is that uh you do a sort of a content some some content thing first like mm-hmm. once once everybody's got a feel for what they're doing um, and the scope and all that stuff, then you can, uh, start to do an information architecture or content strategy or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. And and on the project we did, the, the IA guy did pretty much all of his work before we had started any design development type stuff. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing happened on entertainment weekly and, and TechCrunch as well. So, and it was super helpful. Like massively helpful. It was surprisingly so to me. Yeah. And the the output of those um, the output from the two different people I worked with was uh, kind of traditional. They're sort of like sort of like wireframes, but they were more they were. It's hard to describe. They were like wireframes of of problem areas. So that yeah, it, so it'd be like a like a nav is going to go over here. I mean, like really low fidelity. Yeah, just like a like blocking out the hierarchy of the content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so dear listener, if you imagine like um, uh, sort of, I don't want it to come out like it's. I'm, I was about to say, imagine a big page template with a bunch of blocks filled into it, but <laughs> that sounds like the old way. But it's really not. It's more of like a way to visualize. It's not. It's, it's not that the page is going to end up being organized that way. It's more of getting. Uh, out of the client's mind what they think the most important pieces of content are 
Right. So it, and in fact, uh, Stephen Hay does tons of, he, he actually has a book called responsive design workflow and you know, his big first step is to, is to get the content on the table. You know, you can't, you know, the, if, if design is the marriage of, uh, what does he say? Form and content, then you got to know what, you know, you got to, you know, what your medium is, you know, your medium is going to be a web something, right? App site, whatever, but you need to know what your content is. And he does that with markdown files actually. Mm. Uh, which I absolutely love, and in fact was an early stage on uh, on both the TechCrunch. I think it was both TechCrunch and Entertainment Weekly. We did like uh, literally like an outline, almost like a site map type of thing, of all the different you know, kinds of pages and the different kinds of content, um, the different business units, and all of all of that stuff. And you know, you could do card sorting exercises and all that stuff. Yeah. So I guess I don't want to go, we don't need to go down a rabbit hole about content, but so the content step comes first. Everybody decides what the, what the content is, what's the most important stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then it, and then, um, a designer stepped in, in both cases, and probably in your case too, mm-hmm. that, um, started to do basically style tiles and, and, uh, typography lockups, I think is what they kept on saying. Yeah, just establishing an, an overall feel and general theme for, for the way the site's going to look. Not not doing anything layout specific at that point. Just kind of, you know, here's your color palette, here's your typography. Mm-hmm. This is this is the type of feel we you know we want for for the site. Yeah, it always reminds me of like this home show that I used to I actually love. <laughs> yeah, Candace Olsen, and she would put together like a. Um, you know, like a mood board of a kitchen redesign. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Yeah. And it, would yeah, be it like, feels very much like that. Yeah. It's like this wire basket full of rocks and, you know, and like, and wallpaper swatches and it, right. and she'll do like three of them and say, you know, show them to, you know, which one of these feels right to you. And they, you know, obviously that has no indication of what the kitchen's going to end up looking like really. Like it doesn't right. tell you where the refrigerator is going to be. <laughs> right. It's just what sort of. What sort of feeling do you get out of it? And does this, does this, these colors and, and patterns and photos, do they represent your, your style? Right. Yeah. The mood. And, right. Yeah. And those are, those are so much fun to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like totally. I could just do mood boards all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's Pinterest. So. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Totally. Um, so, so once that phase starts happening or almost, almost concurrently with that phase, like once the information architecture mm-hmm. is done, um, there's this phase where you need to start, like you need to start having meetings. You need to start having design review because yeah. you're not just going to like, you're not going to be successful if you just like, you know, three months later, you just show up at the client and be like, here's your website. There needs to be some kind of, um, some kind of kind of iterative process where you're getting feedback and making changes and showing the, the, you know, just incorporating that as you go along. But how do you do that without comps? It's really, it's kind of tricky. So you get this designers kind of doing the, the mood boardy stuff, whether you want to call them style tiles uh, or maybe a little bit more high fidelity, like element collages where you're actually doing like almost like widgets of a page. Like this is the, this is the event widget and this is, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. That, that was exactly how it progressed um, on the project I worked on too. It went from, went from the very basics of color swatches and type to kind of designing more, more and more high fidelity, some specific elements of the page. Like, like you said, here's a a heading and and Mm -hmm. along with a block of content and, Right, exactly. And that, or that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And and those will have like, it may or may not have lorem ipsum, but you know, you, you get a feel for, um, you just you just progressively making that mood board more, less uh, conceptual and more concrete for the for mm-hmm. the client. Um, but so while that's going on, very early in that process, um, a a front end person, like an HTML CSS person, can be working they can be creating um uh basically html wireframes or spaghetti frames yeah. as we've called them in the past <laughs> yeah where you are you're you're doing a gray box wireframe but instead of doing it in photoshop which is really really hard to 
you know, beyond hard, I mean, who knows, they might have new tools that allow you to resize the screen, have stuff reflow, but no, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, a browser kicks ass at reflow. I mean, that is like the browser's been built from day one to be awesome at reflow. Yeah, Yeah, it does. Yeah. So it's a great place to do it. And, um, and, and you can know, like, you know, once the information architecture is done, you know certain things. You've had enough conversation that you can block out um, that there's going to be a banner ad at the top or that the navigation right. is going to be at the a you know, horizontal bar below the header. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, websites are websites are I feel like the the big pieces of websites, unless you're going full nuts the you know like parallax but you know whatever yeah. and, and that's fine there's, too but but for most of them yeah there there's a pretty much standard set of, of design patterns that people have been using for years and will probably continue to use for years right because there's like a like a, a document well we don't even need to go into the like why but the the point is that you can start writing semantic html at this point mm-hmm because you've got a structure for your content and HTML is good for marking up content. So you can start doing that. And, uh, and, and what it looks like in the browser is just like, you know, placeholder, gray placeholder graphics with dimensions written on them and lorem ipsum text here and there. That's, you know, hopefully roughly the size that it might be. And cause you, you've got that sort of information and right. headings and, and unordered lists. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's the point. I feel like that's the point where we need new tools and pattern lab is mm-hmm. one of those tools. When the, when the, when someone is about to start creating pages basically. Right. And, uh, and, and, and I hesitate to even put it like that because pattern lab is pattern lab brings in another concept, not just responsive web design, but also atomic design. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's heavily optimized for someone who wants to do atomic design, which is not necessary for responsive designs, but it's, I think it's a, it's a nice way or possibly a nice way when done uh, sort of pragmatically, a nice way to um, organize your work when you're, working on a massive site yeah yeah and dealing with a lot of reusable bits yes so you make you make little bits and you add them together and and make into bigger bits into bigger bits into bigger bits until you have a page template uh that you can which is it which is generally the thing you're going to show to the client although sometimes mm-hmm. there'll be early meetings where you're just showing smaller level right like here's a header right here's a header here's what the nav is going to look like you know boxed out and so what's cool about that, or certainly with Pattern Lab, uh, it works like this, is that you can you can get to work as the HTML guy, the front end guy, you can start getting to work before the design's done. Mm-hmm. And you can iterate on little pieces of it, whether it's atomic or not, you can, you can um, you know, once the designer is feeling comfortable with uh, the text treatments, then you can just, you know, CSS is killer at this, you just like, boom, put it in. And, and you're done. Yeah. And, yeah. And it just goes everywhere. Done everywhere. Right. Yeah. For better or worse. <laughs> um, so, so uh, w- what's interesting about this is that is really like a psychological thing more than anything, because you mm-hmm. need to start having meetings with the client and get that feedback loop going. So with a tool like Pattern Lab, um, you can, you can do that. You can say, uh, all right, Tuesday's meeting is, is, let's let's go here's the here's the work in progress and it's it's a web page like you can click around it you can resize it you can see how the things uh, yeah. reflow and 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 in early meetings everything's just gray boxes and there's a lot of hand waving like that's where the nav's going to go and this is where the whatever yeah and you get to watch it slowly fill in, fill in yeah so and Brad Frost talks about this i think the term he uses is um is gradually increasing fidelity Mm-hmm. where like, you know, the first meeting, you're going to have like all gray boxes. The next meeting, um, it's probably not the nav. The nav is usually pretty complicated, but, uh, but some piece fills colors, in. Colors and type. Yeah, it slowly starts to fill in. So yeah, exactly. Like the overall uh, colors for the site start to fill in. The fonts start to fill in. The, the, the treatment of the font, you know, not just the fonts. Right, but the, like, right. The you, text you, start bring, you start bringing in things from the element collages designers are doing. Exactly. 
and uh, and so during in between the meetings during the week, uh, it was my experience that uh, Brad, in in this case, was working with Dan Mall, um, would sort of iterate on uh, cracks between the elements as well. So right. so like uh, like the nav would be designed, but then at a certain break point or like at a certain width, let's say not a break point per se, but at a certain width it looked wonky so you know you know dan can you judge this a little bit and uh and so that around 600 pixels there's more of a gutter between whatever um or like the search the the placeholder in the search field is cut off too much at a particular width so what should the treatment be so the the html css person sort of going back and forth with the photoshop person and and solving these problems as they come up <coughs> Uh, so that's cool. And then, and then, you know, that goes by, that goes on. And then at the end of the week, you meet with the client and you're like, okay, here's the stuff we changed here. It's all these different sizes. Are we still on track? Or do you, you know, are we, are you still liking the colors? Are you still liking the heading? You know, are the headings too long? Are they too, you know, what, what do you think about that? Yeah. Um, okay. So then you go along and then finally, uh, it, this, this process pretty much keeps going just like that. And then it hits it hits a weird phase where you're getting to the end of that and it starts to be time for the deliverable. And the question is what should be the deliverable? Yeah, this is, this is where things got weird for me because this is when I started doing, started doing some, some more complicated JavaScript. And there were times when I was like, okay, does, does this thing that I'm doing really belong in this tool? Right. So for example, well, so I think well, the example is that the as the fidelity increases more and more and more, mm-hmm. like more sophisticated interactions and like performance enhancements starts to creep in. So things like progressively adding content using Ajax. Yeah. And then you're like, wow, well, I'm already, you know, I'm using the browser to design this. And at least in the case of Pattern Lab, it's all happening in an iframe inside of the main thing. So... And so this is the big question for me, which is, and that's, that's one example of, I think, the underlying pattern, which is, um, should this be used for, for, to facilitate the, I mean, it definitely should be used to facilitate the conversation with the client and, and iteratively create the design. Um, but should it be a part of the development process? Yeah. At what point does it turn into implementation? Because cause right. what we were doing, uh, we weren't actually, um, building the site per se. So like we never touched the server. Right. And we never touched WordPress. We just like, here's the HTML, CSS and JavaScript or, you know, CoffeeScript, SAS, whatever. Here are all those assets. Uh, it's up to you to wire that up to the database. Mm-hmm. But there is this really gray area that is super painful. And I, and you and I both felt it acutely because we were the JavaScript people. Yeah, and I feel like JavaScript is is where it's affected the most. <laughs> right, because the question is like, are we building the site? Yeah, or, or are we building page templates? Yeah, or are we building I, themes. Do you want me to do set up the Ajax for this stuff, and then you plug in your URL, or am I just mocking up the way it's supposed the behavior? Right. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's so I, I, and I think that it probably is different in different situations, but I yeah, I, I think so too. I feel like in every case, though, we went too far, but... Yeah, I feel like there comes a point where you have to... If you're if, if the client wants you to do all of that as a deliverable, then that's fine. But there's a point where you need to to take the static content that's generated by the tool and then, you know, maybe step out of the tool and do the other part. Yeah, there should be a... There should be... There needs to be a switch. Like, I think it's definitely... It would definitely be a huge waste to go through all of this... All of this... Um, uh, development in the browser and just to throw it away and rebuild it from scratch. That would be crazy. Right. No, that would, that would, that would be painful. <laughs> right. So like just to, just to devil's advocate, like you, what you could do is say, um, you say, okay, the, the, the front end design team air quotes is going to, um, design in the browser just because it's easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't use a Photoshop comp. No. <laughs> um, at the, as the, well, I suppose you could slice it up, but no one does that. And the, so just devil's advocate, what you could do is say, is like every, every week, just be like, okay, um, before the meeting, the team gets together and creates 
uh, a million screenshots and like screencasts of us using the tool to so, like <laughs> this is how and then you deliver the screencast to the client like they can never touch it they can't play with it um here's the progress what do you think <clears throat> no that would be horrible it would be horrible it would be it would be terrible it would it it would undermine it's kind of like the old thinking yeah so you don't want that but but then the other end of the spectrum where you're you're trying to optimize performance on the pages is it's definitely i feel like that's um that's tough that's like if you have mm -hmm. if you're handing stuff off to an implementation team i feel like there should be i mean your stuff should be fast and clean and and optimized and all that but but doing something like um worrying about how pages are cached mm -hmm. or like uh or, or like you said, Ajaxing in content below the fold or on scroll or some of that stuff just feels like, you know, you, what really should have happened there is that the, the page is the page. And if you want to um, progressively load HTML that's currently in the template I'm delivering to you, then that's up to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. And, and, but there too, and, and if, if part of your job is to, continue to progressively enhance and eventually get to the point where you're doing that, then I feel like it needs to be done outside of the tool. Like you should, you should say, okay, this, this tool has done the thing it was designed to do. Now let's take the output. And, and cause at that point you're actually, you're just, you're the one starting the implementation, right? You're not designing anymore at that point. Yeah. And it's funny because there's a noticeable, there's a noticeable change in the communications in the product. You know, mm -hmm. we always use Basecamp, but it's like, there's a noticeable change in the communications because it changes from requests to bugs. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh, okay. And so another thing that happens there is like, you know, again, devil's advocate, if we were just delivering through the design phase, you're delivering videos of you using the tool, <laughs> uh, demo demoing the UX, then, you know, it would be enough to just do it in like a like Chrome with emulation for phones or whatever, yeah. and then part of the uh, then you deliver it, and then the implementation team has to worry about testing across the target devices. But so the weird thing is, um, there's there's some CSS. I don't know. It's weird. There's a, there's like a not a clean handoff there, but I think you're onto something with the the notion of saying, okay, tools done. We're done with Pattern Lab. Here yeah. are the templates. Yeah, we're we're done designing, and then the rest of this this AJAX optimization and PNG fallbacks and stuff that you want to do. This is actually this is an implementation. Yeah, it's problem, early stage problem. Of it's not a design problem, so it needs to be done outside of the tool. Yeah, Take that's what the tool was generated and, and go from there. That's a great point. So so what I think we're identifying here are the two ends of uh, the browser design tool, and the the things that it needs to the things that really it needs to have in order to be useful. Mm -hmm. Definitely it has to have, there's there, I identified four things that it has to have. And I think, I don't know if you have, have any other ones to add, but, um, and we've touched on a couple of them. First of all, it, you have to be able to do rapid development here. You're not actually, you need to be able to quickly build almost like the MVP of what you need for the next meeting. Yeah. So like, uh, just to get that feedback. Cause the thing you need is the feedback. So, because you're building trust with the client, and they know the things are on track, and they're probably spending tons of money, so they get nervous, and so you need to be able to iterate really, really fast. So, like a week needs to be plenty of time, or at least enough time, for you to to significantly move the the implementation of the design forward. Uh, another thing is that you need to be able to easily increase the fidelity over time, which we already touched on, and is tightly mm -hmm. related to the rapid application development portion. Um, uh, another thing that we didn't really talk about yet is that you need the ability to populate the templates dynamically with the client data as you get it. Right. Uh, because when you get to that demo phase, when they want to play with it, right, and rightly so, they want to see their real content in there. Yeah, you're going to want to see their stuff. Right, but you don't want to put it, you can't, it's sort of silly to bake it into the HTML so when you go in and you rip out the the lorem ipsum or whatever that was there when it was just a gray box and you you want to replace it with something but in every every case they're like okay i want to see it um i want to see it with content okay great so maybe you hard code it or maybe you do like uh, you have like a data file or something like that and you associate yeah. it with the template and then you render them together for the demo but then 
then they're like, okay, now I want to see it with, with, uh, randomized content. Like I want to <laughs> see it sometimes yeah. with this content and sometimes and like all of a sudden you're like, do I need yeah, to create and, a database? Oh, and then put a video in it here. Yeah. And we want the video to be random and we want like different overlays that are associated with each randomly picked video. And so now all of a sudden you're getting into a CMS issue. Yeah. And I, I think we're both fully agree that you, if you are starting to build a CMS, you're doing something wrong. Which, which is a hard problem to solve. Yeah. You don't, you definitely do not want to be making a CMS. You know, you're, you're not, it's, it's too, it will, that, you know why? Because that will destroy the rapid, the rapid development. Part. It will. So you have to do something really lightweight that, um, that solves the problem. And I can imagine a bunch of different things like, like the perfect world thing for me would, would be for the client to set up like a JSON feed from their live CMS. Yeah. And this actually has worked. Like I've, I have done this in the past with, uh, uh, actually it was with time Inc about a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were able to set up, um, a, a JSON feed because they had one already for an existing site. And I was able to like siphon that into a new design for the same content. Right. Right. Yeah. And I've, I've worked with it on entertainment weekly and yeah. yeah so that's great. That's perfect because then you can just do, then the question is, all right, how do I mash it together? But that's, that's a solvable right. problem. You get to see some real examples of the content and they get to say, oh, well this, this actually is my content. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, this is like what's on the site today. Like, yeah. Oh, cool. The only problem with that is of course the Jessica Simpson problem, <laughs> which is that you could be working on <laughs> the website on like a bunch of different tablets and laptops at a Starbucks. And then all of a sudden naked Jessica Simpson is the cover story. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> perv on table five. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if you stumbled across this particular page yet, but we ran into a similar, a similar project, a problem yeah. on one of the projects. Yeah. The bathing suit one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's bad. And, and then they're like, can you make sure it's centered <laughs> regardless of screen resolution? <laughs> Just okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is anyone really going to be looking at where it's centered? Yeah. Our heads are up here. So. Uh, anyway. Anyway. Um, okay. So ability to populate t uh, templates with data dynamically. You you want to yes. come up with something lightweight. And and probably that means, um, probably that means pulling JSON from somewhere, whether it's a data file that you provide yourself or they give to you and you just always pull from that one or, or ideally live from their existing website. But, um, you definitely want to be able to do that because the, you know, the clients famously, the famous inability to process any abstraction. They just want to, and I don't blame mm -hmm. them. I want to see the no, real content too. Uh, and then the last one I had is, is maybe it's too obvious to have in the list, but it's been a problem. Uh, mm -hmm. is is to make sure that it's git friendly yeah especially because using a tool like this almost certainly implies that you're working with uh, a team of people and you just can't it's just too easy f to like screw things up if you're not using Git. like you got to use git right or or you know some at least some form of version control something and and like um, just, just to give a concrete example, the way pattern lab, and this is, this is our fault for setting up the repo wrong, mm -hmm. but, um, with pattern lab, it generates a bunch of files and those <laughs> should not have been included in the repo. In fact, right. I like after, so like I'm working on one now that generates like all of the, all the coffee script, all the SAS files get generated into CSS mm -hmm. and JavaScript files. And I would argue that even those shouldn't be in the repo. Because the, so the job, the JavaScript. Yeah. Like what's the point? Yeah, the compiled. Yeah, I, I agree. So, uh, cause what, every time you do a, uh, every time you do a commit, you've got all of these generated files that of course they changed, you know? Right. Right. This, this actually brings up something that I want, that I want to talk about in a few minutes, but, but go ahead. Okay, cool. Uh, but worse, this generates, uh, pattern, the current version of pattern lab generates an entire static site, which is fine, but it's generally a few hundred files. Yeah, so, it's, a, it's an in, entire, it generates an entire static pattern lab and all, all in all its glory. Like it's not just a static site, here are your pages. It's right. here, here are your, your atoms, molecules, templates, all of that that you can navigate around in. 
mm-hmm. inside of a pattern lab overlay and it's all statically generated, which, which is fine. But like you said, it, you end up with hundreds of files. Right. So every time you do a commit, it's like, this commit is too large. This is a large commit. Are you sure you want to display all the files? <laughs> yeah. So uh, what I've actually, what I've taken to doing, it might be of interest to you, is that I just go through and I commit the one, the, like the one couple of files that I changed, mm-hmm. which are almost always like, like the coffee script files in my case. So just commit yeah. those and then, and I add everything else to a commit called generated changes. Yeah. And uh, that has been a, a huge help. And that's just like a, a, a you know, self-discipline type of thing, but it would really be better. <laughs> yeah. That, that public directory sh- should really not be in the repo at all. Yeah. Or like the, you know, there's a bunch of files that are just obnoxiously in the repo. So, but that's, that's, our, you know, that's our own fault for the team's fault for not, being smart about that. Can that you said, the ramp? No. He's Jeez. oh wow. He's so popular. I know. If any of our listeners are interested in a cat. <laughs> um so anyway, I wanted to put that one on the list because um, not that we couldn't have worked around it and we should have worked around it, but I can imagine creating a tool that makes version control very difficult. And I would just urge you, if you're building one of these for yourself or your, or for the general public, to consider that and um, and not, you know. Yeah. So it raises another point. So this is actually kind of a segue into... Um, maybe nice to haves or like, like those are, those are four things that I think are musts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. Cool. Then the, so I think some of the nice to haves for a tool like this, or, or we can talk about it anyway, whether or not they're nice to have, mm-hmm. um, there needs to be some way in the, in the templates that you deliver to the implementation team to separate dynamic data from static data. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, Pat- pattern Lab does it with mustache templates. Mm. which which sounds like a great idea when i heard that i was like that's a great idea because they can use it pretty much any language mm-hmm. except <laughs> if you're using mustache templates for your front end also <laughs> yeah we we found that out because then you've got but, mustache inside a mustache yeah but there again you get to the point where okay mustache templates to populate these page um on the on the client side on the mustache templates on the front end um, you know, is that an implementation thing? Should that be done outside of the tool anyway? Right. Good point. It's it's an optimization. Yeah, because you're pulling in, you're pulling it, you're ajaxing in content after the page load. Right. Yeah, I feel like that is the I, I I feel like that is the answer. I feel like there should be. I just something about ajax doesn't feel right. Yeah, you, it's it's not designed. You need to be able to draw a. Uh, draw a line between this is where design stops and this is where the implementation begins. And I think, I think tools like this make that a little more difficult to do because you are in your design process, you're doing development work. Mm -hmm. So being able to say, okay, this is the end of the design process. Now we need to do the rest of the front end development. Mm -hmm. The line there gets kind of fuzzy because you just keep thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm already working in the browser or, you know, I could just add this in blah, blah, blah. Right. So you're, I think, I think you totally nailed it though. Like that is as soon as you hit the Ajax line, cause the other way to solve that is just include the thing. So like if you've got, um, let's say you've got some interaction where, uh, Oh, let's just say you've got some interaction where <laughs> you've got like uh, a top tab navigation and then there's mm-hmm. really complex sub navigation. Uh, let's just assume for a moment. Let's just assume that that is the case. <laughs> yes. Uh, the fact that that sub nav stuff loads at runtime is not necessary for the, for the design phase because you could just include, so that thing that you're going to Ajax at, you can just just be included. Yeah. You just include it on the, you just include it in the template and it's there already. You don't have to like get it later, Mm -hmm. but then it brings up the issue of like, when does the debugging for that happen? Who's responsible for that? But I guess, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. Like you just get to the end and you're like, okay, we're done with the design. Now let's be done with Pattern Lab, the design tool. Yeah. And, and if you still have work to do per your your contract or per per your 
portion of the project, then fine. But just don't try and do it inside your design tool. Right. Yeah, I think that is that's the split. I think that's so. There's a tricky thing there, though. I I think that's definitely. I think that's perfect. And I wonder if there are still because what happens is is often you can start doing that that post design development optimization implementation stuff, but there's still pages that you're working on in in the design. Mm-hmm. Like you can't get those right. Like they're. Yeah. Or there'll be design changes that are um, changes that get made. Yeah. So like, so then what happens? Like, how do you, once you're out of the design tool, how do you propagate those changes reliably across all the places you need to? So there needs to be some kind of like patch approach where you can patch stuff that hasn't been. Yeah. Basically could get merged. Yeah. Get merged. Yeah. You read my mind. There, there needs to be some kind of way to merge code. Like sub modules <laughs> or something. Yeah. If we could only think of a way to merge code. yeah that totally solves it so there you go okay everything's perfect now problem solved so so you have your public repo your public directory is a separate repo (laughs) Mm. yeah and then you just output new changes from the uh, the pattern lab builder thing and merge it into the a different branch and, Mm -hmm. and then merge yeah there you have it ladies and gentlemen well we solved that problem <laughs> yeah geez this is more successful than i thought it would be um all right so that that what that does is that gets us to a place where we've got um we've separated we've separated design phase from development and optimization implementation right so what do you think about what do you think about the the templating part is like an unsolved. I, I feel like it needs to be something like it has to be something that's not visible in the interface. There needs to be a way inside of the HTML to tag stuff that's dynamic or not dynamic and like map yeah, it like to data, data attributes. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, like almost Angular style. Yeah, like a, I, I was just thinking the same thing, like a, like an MVVM type of. Right. So that the implementation team doesn't need to know anything except for the logic. So they say, so right. you say, okay. Look for this. That means that a, you know a loop should happen here, and each of these things is an item in some data set that you're gonna you're gonna be provided on the server mm-hmm. side. I suppose there. So that's that's one possibility. Um, the I suppose another possibility is to. Oof. The other thing I was gonna say was have it. Oh God, I can't even say it. So let's this this is not a good idea, but maybe it'll make you think of something. Mm-hmm. Um, is to output it such that all of the um, templating does happen on the client side in the in the generated files. So you know, that, I had I had thought about that at one point, and then I said, "No, that's not a good idea." <laughs> yeah, it's it's not a good idea, but it would work. Yeah. But it'd be, I think it'd still be brutal because they'll probably take all of that. See, this, this is where mustache would have worked. Mm-hmm. Because that, yeah, that that was my original thinking on it. But so maybe it was just a workflow thing or like a development a development issue. Because if if all of the templating happened in the front end with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, then they could take that. Could they? Could they take that and just do that generation on the server side, and then output the the results. I wonder. I don't know. That's an outstanding question, but it it needs Mm -hmm. to be. But templating, the the bottom line is templating has to happen. Yeah. So I guess, you know, in a sense, in a sense, you're building a theme, like almost like a WordPress theme. Yeah. That's the deliverable in my mind. And, and I think in, in, um, you know, hopefully the clients aren't listening, but in my experience, like the stuff that we delivered, I don't know, the implementation team didn't seem to have a problem with it. Um, but it seemed like what the stuff we were handing off seemed really complicated to me. Yeah. Like I felt I was expecting to get a lot of, of like questions. Yeah. Like I, if it were me and I were, and it was being given to me, I would either want, like you said, the finished theme, or I would want, um, static HTML, JavaScript and CSS. That is just the pages. Mm -hmm. Like none of the other atomic design elements none of you know 
Right. You don't need that other than the same reason that you don't need like the original Photoshop files. Like maybe later right. you'll want to go in and change something. But Right. Like I might want to have it, but I would want a clean set of just the pages. Right. So I guess there, I guess there's a couple of approaches there that are possible that, you know, one is that you, um, you just give static HTML, CSS and JavaScript and you have, you know, data, um, attributes set on the elements to help the implementation team know what to replace. Uh, and you also got the idea of doing all the templating with mustache in the front end so that it's, it's, that's language agnostic. It doesn't matter what the middleware is for them to do that. Um, and you know, and they can either leave it on the front end, which is probably not a good idea performance wise, or they can move yeah. that to the back end easily enough. Yeah. But then you're, then you're forcing that mustache template language on them. Right. But it is pretty agnostic, but so and it then, is. then the third thing is like, you know, coordinating with them up front and being like, okay, how, how do you want your templates? Mm-hmm. Um, which in, in my experience, they, you know, when questions like that were discussed, they were kind of like, what, are, you know, whatever, just give us, just give us the HTML, CSS and JavaScript. They, like, they weren't yeah. worried about it. I guess they're just used to it. Yeah. Like, they're, like, they're used to taking the static stuff and making a WordPress template out of it, for instance. Right. So, I mean, to, to me, having, like you said, the, the static HTML with maybe some data attributes, to me, that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. then any, anybody can take it and do whatever they want with it. Yep. And you know any any developer you know if you, if you can't if you can't take a static HTML page and work with it to make a template then you don't deserve a job doing development. <laughs> yeah, it's just it just sounds so tedious to me. It seems like oh wow, you know you got to pull out all, well, I, but it's fine. That's yeah. that's there. I'm sure there's a. I've never done it, so it just yeah. seems tedious. Maybe it, in, maybe in some a ways, process. in some ways, it's less tedious than trying to adjust someone else's template when it's not exactly the way it needs yeah. to be. Roger that. Yeah, totally agree there. Well, that kind of that kind of answers that question. So cool. So um, that reminds me of another thing that uh, would is be a really nice to have feature, especially mm-hmm. when you're doing. Um, uh, you're going to be doing some kind of includes, probably. Like you, you theoretically could do this completely not dry, like you know your <laughs> yeah your damp approach. Yeah. <laughs> like the wet, write everything twice. <laughs> do another massive paste yeah um so so you probably just if, if you're a developer you're just not going to want to repeat yourself so yeah. you're going to probably uh, in fact i would argue that the first time you do this you'll probably over abstract it over nest mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and uh and what ends up happening is so what i mean by that is is like with atomic design for example there's like what is it four levels uh, atoms, atoms molecules, molecules corpuscles organism or <laughs> corpuscle cell, blood yeah. cells paramecium sperm whale sperm whale yeah, up to sperm whale so you've got these levels and it's kind of like well if i've got these levels i'm going to use them all so you 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 have to end up at a template though because that's what we're we're yeah. building web pages sorry you know i know we're building systems of components but they're web pages in the in the end, the end of the day, they're web pages. Yeah, so um, you have to get there, and what you're going to end up doing is probably when you when you're in debugging mode or even design mode, there's mm-hmm. sort of two huge problems with that. Uh, one is that when you're changing an atom or anything below the highest level, you have no idea where the change is cascading. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like CSS, but it's it's even worse it's because it's affecting the markup and all sorts of stuff so like you can you can completely destroy your javascript and everything by changing something in an atom yeah and then the new version of pattern lab has a nice feature where you can you can pull up a page and you can do sort of a code view and you can see the it'll it'll list the things that are that are included that make up that page but there's no way to go back of going backwards that i know of you can't say like okay here's an atom tell me tell me all the places that this atom is used Right. It should, and there should be. So I've had this, I had this exact same problem with, um, with like FileMaker back in the day, there was no way to tell what script included other scripts. So you could write these macro scripts and then include them in each other. And when you went to change one, there's no way to know if it was included by another script. And like you, if you just knew that, if you knew no other script included, it would totally change your life. 
So, so that is, that would be seriously nice to have is to be able to have like, kind of like a parent count or a parent list like this Adam is included in all these places. That would be great. Right. Um, so it would be super, super useful to know where any given file, where, where else it was. Included. Yeah. Yeah. You need some kind of, some kind of source map. Right. The other thing that would be really nice is to be able to flip open, you know, to view source and have like literally have comments in the HTML that indicate where each block came from. So yeah. it just say, uh, like it should happen. I started doing it. Like I was man in, in some of the more complicated, uh, organisms and components and atoms. I was putting in comments that are like begin file name and file name. Right. Just, just put a comment at the top of the file. That's just the path to the file name. Exactly. And so then when you view the source, you can be like, oh, I, if I need to edit this, I know exactly where to go. So then you can bang down to down to that file, change that thing. And, you know, and if you did know where else it was included, you'd know if you were going to have to test in other places because you just don't know where the where the where the changes cascade. The thing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a balance. There's a balance to be made between dry and not dry, dry and wet, um, where you want to. Because at a certain phase, once you've entered the testing phase, and and it's debatable whether or not the testing phase should happen inside of this tool. That's another question that's on my mm -hmm. my list. Once you've entered a testing phase and you're logging bugs, I feel like you yeah. probably shouldn't be in the tool anymore. But, you know, that's debatable, mm. I suppose. I could go either way. I guess it depends on, on what kind of bugs we're talking about. If we're talking about bugs for stuff that you've implemented then you shouldn't have done that in the tool to begin with but <laughs> <laughs> that's true if we're talking about css display bugs or, or things like that then I, yeah i feel like that stuff still belongs in the tool yeah like nav is broken in ie8 type stuff yeah so yeah i guess yeah i could i could go either way on that too yeah but then then that brings up a whole nother question of if you if you're doing things like oh i need to do something here to support an old version of ie mm -hmm. well what if your fix for that is some sort of really complicated bit of JavaScript? Does it belong in the tool or, or not? So Right. Yeah, and and I think I feel like that stuff probably does like the I really the Ajax is the line in the sand for me. Yeah, I I think so too. Like when I'm retrieving other content to augment the content that I have, then I'm like, mm, yeah. I should have just put it there in the first place. Another thing Pattern Lab did that kind of kind of made this more difficult otherwise the ajax could have happened was that when pa when pattern lab generated static bits like even even the atoms and, and molecules and corpuscles and things would have they would have you know like a header a footer the css included all of that like it it wasn't just the, the chunk, chunk of html right and if it was if it was just the chunk of html then doing the ajax inside of pattern lab wouldn't have been a problem because you mm. could just grab that, grab that, um, that parakeet. <laughs> gotcha. Without a head. Right. <laughs> the headless parakeet. Right. You could just get the wings. Ew. <laughs> um, that's making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> wings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Richard's going to lunch, and I'm I'm here talking about this. That bomb. Yeah. <laughs> um. Cool. So, I don't know. Do we? Uh, the other thing I had that, that were nice to have for a tool like this were basically the toolbar. Like the Pattern Lab mm -hmm. toolbar has, I th I think, some useful features, especially when you're trying to demo this stuff or like give it to a client for them to play around with. Yeah, I, I think so too. I, I feel like a lot of the, yeah. I mean, that's just the the little viewer. Tool. Yeah, it's like a it's like a it's like a responsive website player. Yeah. <laughs> So you've kind of got the you got the iframe and then you've got this little maybe 30 pixel high black bar along the top that lets you pick particular atoms or molecules or corpuscles or parakeets to look at uh, in the viewer in the iframe section in the middle. And then it's got some uh, tools on the other side that um, give you the ability to just click an S for a narrow view, like small view, or M for medium, and L for large. And yeah, it's kind of random within a range of what those what those screens turn out to be. Yeah, they're not specific breakpoints. It's like a slightly randomized, which I thought was very clever. Yeah, I, I liked that a lot. Right. So you never, you never, you didn't. It 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 
right. allows like your, you to your medium, not... Right. Like medium may be 680 pixels one time and 740 the next. Right. So if you have a bug just over the breakpoint, you'll find it instead of, you know, if it was just fixed breakpoints, like always 600 wide or always 480, then there could be a, a bug at 490 that you missed. So that's pretty cool. I think that's really useful. Um, the I love the code view. I wish there was a mm-hmm. view that that you could you could sort of look at inside of the generated file and, and see all the files that included it. Yeah, um, I wish the I wish the code view in Pattern Lab was dynamic and not HTML stuck at the bottom of the generated file. Mm. Or yeah, I'm not, I I didn't even know about that until very recently, and at that point, I didn't need it anymore. So I haven't looked at it. What does it do? It um it just sticks the source for the file at the end of the file. In the on the visible screen or like you have to view source? No, it it makes it it's it puts it all in a hidden div. Okay. And then it shows it. Yeah. I see. Cool. Well, I mean that's certainly something. Uh, but what yeah. you what would be ideal would be if you could like click on it to open the file in the default browser or something like that would be default text editor. That would be so killer. (laughs) Um, And also, and like, it's nice to know what, what files are included in the page, but you really want to know where, because you you inspect an element, you want to know which file it came from. Right. So that's, so there, there's definitely some room for improvement there. I think those are pretty critical features if you're doing nesting, which you're going to do. So yeah. 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 The, the code, the code view and being able to see that hierarchy and pattern lab is definitely nice, but but yeah, you're, you're, there's going to be, you know, you're, you're always going to need, <laughs> the deeper you can go, the better. Yeah. Uh, and then the last feature that is I use constantly is just to be able to open up the iframe in its own window. So you just like pop mm-hmm. it open and it's like a dumb little feature. But when, when, uh, when that's not there and earlier projects didn't have that in Pattern Lab and it was like, it was really annoying. Right click on iframe, open frame and <sighs> do. It, and that's not an option. Open a new window is not an option. Oh, it's not? No, when you right-click an iframe. You can view source on the iframe, but there's no, like, open this oh, right, iframe right, its right. own window. I, th- I think you can in Firefox. Oh, yeah, maybe. But you can't in Chrome. No, not in Chrome. So you're constantly, like, copying that, and then you bookmark it. It's, like, really annoying. Just having that one button there saved me, like, hours. So that's nice, too. But uh, that's getting a little more fringy and, like, like workflow-wise. But I think we... I think the... I think we did actually kind of have a little bit of a, uh, a revelation about the about the Ajax being a cutoff and like in moving into a, another tool when you get moving yeah. out of the tool when you get to a specific point. Yeah, yeah like being that. able to, to draw that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and I can understand how it's how it's difficult to to see it coming mm-hmm. because you are you are doing some development during your design process just through the nature of, of building it out in the browser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it gets fuzzy, but you. But I think it's good to draw. But it's pretty clear when you're looking for it. Yeah. Because I can I can remember that point in all of the projects mm-hmm. where where yeah, it it's switched like you over. Said, when 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 in Basecamp when things go from from request to bugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know you've you know you've crossed the line. Um, but I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty. I would like to. What I would like to see is a whole is like a like a dozens of options to mm-hmm. fill this gap between the beginning of front-end development and a uh, handoff to implementation team. Yeah, right and it's, now, it's definitely useful. It's, yeah, it's definitely useful to have a tool. Oh, yeah. It's just a matter of, of having one that's going to meet your needs without being too complicated or and, and then being able to know, knowing the limits of that tool and, and using it. Yeah, the whole the the size of the project has a big effect on what is overkill and what's not. Of course, I mean that's true with everything. But when there's only when there's only I mean really pattern loves the only one I know of. And when there's only one to pick from, and it's getting more and more, uh, it's getting more and more oriented for very large projects. um, It doesn't. If it would be total overkill for like a smaller project. But I still feel like if you're working with a client, you still have to have those weekly meetings and those reviews and stuff. So, um, you know, there's there's room there for more options. Cool. Did I lose you? No, I no, think I just, we just finished. So quiet. Yeah, I guess we did. <laughs> 
So, dear listener, that's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the Niche Podcast. Bye.